people and thank you for joining me on this first episode of I Quit Shit. Now I have quite a long list of things that I have quit over the span of my life. Uh, being 35 and starting at about five years old, we've got a lot of content to draw from. So it was really difficult for me to choose what I wanted to talk about for the very first episode. Needed to be catchy, needed to get everybody to come back for the second episode, obviously. But I also wanted it to be something that other people could identify with. Now, this one isn't strictly quitting, so I'll apologize for that straight away. This is more of a quitting to quit feature episode subject. Right now, the topic I chose for this first episode is drinking. I know that there are going to be many people out there who, like me, have tried to quit drinking a number of times and always find yourself back at the end of the day. Rough day at work. Oh, just got to have that beer. Little bit of a, a caveat here. When I say that I quit drinking, I hope that you're not picturing me sitting at home alone in the dark, guzzling a bottle of wine, watching episodes of Friends anymore. Now, we'll have an episode about my quitting of London later on. But at the moment, what I'm referring to is one or two beers or glasses of wine at the end of the day with dinner. But just that kind of constant stream, the fact that it's an everyday kind of thing that I'm trying to get away from and that I'm trying to uh, break the habit of. Currently, I am on day 15 of a month-long goal that I set for myself to quit drinking. Now, we do have this month-long goal to thank for this podcast even existing in the first place because one of the things I've been trying to do is fill in time to distract myself from pouring that glass of wine after work. So day 15, the longest I have gone without drinking in, I would say, about seven and a half years. And that's a little embarrassing to, to say, but I think that's about right. If I remember correctly, it was when I was living in Costa Rica, I'd just gotten married. We were super poor and we could afford box wine every so often. And so it was a rare treat to sit out on the stoop and have a, have a glass of wine. Now, a little side note here as well. You're going to hear me talk about a lot of different places where I've lived, where I've traveled, where I've worked. And I don't want you to think that I'm trying to sound like an asshole. So I work internationally. I have uh, lived in a number of countries. I was an exchange student when I was young. I did the you know, obligatory Australian two-year visa to the UK. I did a work visa in Canada. And in my current profession, I've worked in Costa Rica, Kuwait, and Jordan. And right now, I'm um, my husband and I are living in South Korea. So in this podcast, just naturally because of the lifestyle that I have and the job that I have, I will be talking about being in a lot of different places. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if that makes me sound like a complete and utter douchebag. That is not the intention, but that's just the life that I currently live. So getting back to this quitting of drinking and trying not to quit the quitting. This is most certainly not the first time I have tried this. So many attempts have been followed by almost instantaneous failure. And I often justify that to myself because it's being social or because I've had a hard day at work or because spring is here. Yeah. 
day. And there's nothing like having a beer in the sun on a 25 degree day. I always start out with this intention of, okay, I'm going to go a week. I'm going to go a month. And I often get two or three days into it and I'll come up with some kind of excuse. I just did this last month. It was like, oh no, had a few too many last night. I'm going to take a month off. And I lasted three days three days. And then I pat myself on the back and I was like, oh, good for you. You know, they say that if you can make it three days, you can make it three weeks, you can make it three months, you can make it three, blah, blah, blah. You know the story, you've all heard it. And so I congratulated myself for my three days. I marked it down in my bullet journal, which whole nother episode on that thing that I'm not writing in anymore, and went and poured myself a glass of wine. This new attempt really has me thinking about why I make the associations I do with alcohol, how my relationship with alcohol has developed over the years. And so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to kind of unpack my alcohol experience for you and kind of talk myself through why it is I do what I do and why I struggle so much to quit drinking. Now, something you're going to hear about quite often in this podcast, depending on the topic uh, is how I grew up and the home I grew up in. I grew up in an incredibly strict Christian home. This was a home in which no secular material was allowed to enter. I think I was in grade nine when I got a single of Don't Speak by No Doubt and I hid it in my room only to have my mother find it and ban me did she ban me? I think she, her favorite thing to do with me was to ban me from television. So I think I got six months for that one. Well, maybe it was six weeks. I can't remember. It was six something. This was a very, very serious rule. There was to be no uh, secular music, no secular books, anything like that. If you're not familiar with secular, we're talking about anything that is not Christian. And TV was limited to only on the weekends and only pre-approved shows. Movies were incredibly limited. I was not allowed to watch The Little Mermaid or Aladdin, anything that had witchcraft. I absolutely wasn't allowed to watch anything that had swearing or violence or sexual references or sexual content. That is why I know every single Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that ever existed. And I'm pretty sure I watched The Sound of Music at least 80 times, maybe more. I know I wore out two videotapes, like two VHS tapes. So grew up in a very strict home. As you can probably guess, this house was alcohol free. My mum, as a child, I never, ever, ever saw her drink. Not once, never. My stepfather, on the other hand, if we were at a function, uh, he may have a light beer from time to time, but there was never actually any beer or wine or anything in our house. The one exception for this is at Christmas time, my mum would make rum balls and she would make them with real rum. So that was the only time ever that there would be rum uh, in the house, any kind of alcohol in the house. Don't misunderstand me when I'm talking about the way that I was raised. I absolutely love my mother. I respect every decision that she made. I know that she was making choices that she felt was best uh, were best for us. And looking back at them, I honestly can understand why she tried to shelter us from certain things. There are just so many things out there that kids are exposed to and bombarded with that she really did her best in the best way that she knew how to, to give us a childhood and to give us some innocence. 
This meant that as a child, I was exposed to alcohol on very, very rare occasions. And some of those occasions involved extended family. I had older siblings that had already left home and aunts and uncles, my grandfather, that would drink. They drank socially, um, some of them more than socially. But if we were at a function or a family barbecue or a birthday or celebration, whatever it was, where they were going to be there, this would be my kind of one interaction a year, maybe every six months or something like that. It wasn't a common occurrence. And the thing that happened in those interactions was that they always looked like they were having fun. They'd show up with their eskies full of beer or rum or bourbon or whatever it was as a kid. I had no idea. But to me, it just always looked like they were having so much fun. They were laughing. They were sharing stories. They were playing with us. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun to me. I looked forward to those moments. And so I formed this positive connection, I think, through watching them and the way that they interacted with alcohol and me being like, ooh, what is this thing? Oh, this is so much fun. Oh, I can't wait till I'm older and I can do that. The thing I didn't realize as a child is that we never really stayed at those fun for very long. My mom would be there, would be there for like a couple of hours maybe and then when everyone was starting to kind of get more and more into the drinks we would go home and so I never saw any of the arguments that may have ensued. I never knew that people got sick or got hungover or anything like that. I only ever had that positive interaction. Another thing that has definitely contributed to my understanding of alcohol relationship with alcohol and the way that it fits in socially is growing up in Australia and being Australian. I'm sure many of you know of how esteemed reputation as massive drinkers and you travel anywhere in the world go to Australia itself or go through Asia or go to the UK go to Europe go to Canada go anywhere where you're going to run into a group of Australians and I can almost guarantee you will be drinking with them or they will be drinking and it just it's going to the pub with your mates after work it's music festivals it's barbecues it's beaches it's watching sports it's Every activity that I can think of involves one of two things. It's either going to be booze or coffee. Those are our two massive kind of addictions in, in my eyes. But it comes into the friendships that you have. You know, if you're not drinking, then people will kind of look at you funny. They may um, give you shit and be like, what's wrong, mate? Why aren't you having a drink? And there's a lot of social pressure attached to being relaxed, having fun, and alcohol plays a huge role in that for many Australians. And so your friendships become intertwined with it, your interests become intertwined with it. If you play on a recreational sports team, chances are your game is going to be followed by beers. If you uh, want to meet up for brunch, chances are it's going to be a boozy brunch. Okay, so there's just so many things that involve alcohol on a regular basis. Now, one of the really big factors that I think contributed to my frequent drinking was working in hospitality for, I'd say, 10 plus years from the end, bit past the end of high school, all through uni, and then when I was living in the UK. So this was a really significant portion of my life was spent in bars and restaurants and cafes. And the one kind of catchphrase that really sticks with me when I'm thinking about alcohol and working in hospitality is the knockoff. 
okay? You get to the end of the shift and you have a knockoff. That's a drink, hopefully, depending on your employer, provide it for free. Uh, and a lot of the times that drink is going to lead to another drink and to another drink and it becomes, you know, whoever knocked off that shift at the same time or if you all close together, um, it can then turn into a night out and these things can happen on a very regular basis on a Monday or a Tuesday uh, because, you know, hospo life. So I think being in that environment for so long has definitely bled over into these other moments in my life. I still have that sense when I walk out of work, oh, it's time to have a drink. And I do think that that behavior and that habit was really shaped by those connections that I made while I was working in hospitality. The last big contributing factor to my somewhat unhealthy attachments <laughs> to alcohol uh, that I'm going to talk about in this podcast is my four years that I spent living in the Gulf. Now, we lived in a country where alcohol was illegal and you were not supposed to purchase alcohol, sell alcohol, or be drunk in public. That didn't mean that you couldn't get alcohol or couldn't find alcohol. And there seemed to be this thing where because you couldn't have it because it was not allowed you regress to this childhood stage of oh I can't have it so I want it. It was a really unhealthy environment to be in because all of our vacations, our time in our home countries, everything became about is there going to be beer? Am I going to be able to access alcohol? Is the flight that I'm taking going to be serving drinks? If not I will pay extra to fly with an airline that will serve me beer as soon as we get to cruising altitude. This strange relationship that developed by living somewhere where there's something that you're so used to having and is a big part of your life already but now it's not allowed it almost becomes like a sign a, a symbol of freedom a symbol of yeah it kind of becomes like a, a symbol of freedom oh yeah I, I'm gonna do this I can get this and you know I'm gonna make sure that everywhere I am I'm gonna take advantage of all the alcohol I can have so I feel really bad for our families anytime we went back to New Jersey or to Australia I'm pretty sure our families were very concerned at the fact that we would go to the bottle shop every day or have beers every day, have wine every day, every meal. It was like, oh, what are we going to drink? Da, da, da. We'd show up from uh, our flights duty-free with massive bottles of, of uh, liquor, hard liquor, spirits, whatever you want to call it. And it was almost, I don't want to say it was instantaneous, but it really didn't take long when we left um, the Gulf and moved to a country where alcohol was more easily available, readily available and legal. It didn't take long for me to realize how, how out of control it had gotten, you know, beers at 7am at Frankfurt airport Beers and pork. Let's not forget that. It had to be beers and sausage, okay? There was two things that was illegal. Pork, alcohol. <laughs> so we would. We'd sit there at a table, 7 a.m., steins, um, pretzels, sausage. It was, it was a real thing. But after leaving there, it became apparent that this constant need or constant desire was no longer important. So as I said at the beginning, I am 15 days in, so this is the longest I've been drink-free in many, many years. And I'm doing a few things differently this time around. What I've made sure that I do both at home and when I'm out is have tasty replacements, okay? Water is great, water is wonderful, we all need to drink eight glasses a day. 
But water is boring and water does not make you feel better about not drinking alcohol. So I've drunk more soft drink, more juice, more uh, sparkling water, flavored sparkling water than I ever have before in my life. I honestly think that I've consumed more Coke specifically in the last two weeks than I have in my entire lifetime. So if the point of me giving up drinking was to lose weight, I'm failing at that incredibly well. But that's been really, really helpful, especially when we're going out to see friends or if we're going out for lunch or dinner or whatever it is, to give myself the freedom to order something that isn't alcohol, but isn't water, it's filled that void or that gap and given me the sugar hit that I'm not getting from alcohol, which, if I tried to, to quit sugar and alcohol at the same time, I think I literally would have murdered my husband by now. Another thing that comes in handy with having those alternatives and those tasty replacements is planning ahead. So we went and hung out with friends the other night and I knew that beer was going to be on offer, which is obviously very generous. Anytime you go to someone's house and they offer you a drink, it's like, oh, thank you so much. But I knew that I was not going to be partaking. And I also didn't want to be an asshole and be like, hey, can you make sure that you've got some soft drink there for me? So I brought my own. I, you know, showed up with my juice sparkling water concoction to trick myself into thinking that I was having, you know, a refreshing gin beverage. But doing that and having something in my hand and having something tasty to drink while we chatted and played games made a massive difference. And I walked away from that thinking, oh, I don't actually feel like that was any different to, to normal, um, except I won't have a headache in the morning. And there you have it. So at the moment, I haven't quit the quitting yet. 15 days. Oh, so close. Cannot wait till May 27th. If I make it that far, check Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me for this first podcast of I Quit Shit. I really hope that if you identify with anything that I've shared today or you have your own experiences with either quitting things altogether or trying to quit things and then quitting the quitting, I hope you share those with me. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at quitshitpodcast. Here is me sounding super cheesy and I've just got to get used to doing this. But if you liked the sound of this first episode, please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you listen to podcasts on. If you use Apple or even if you don't use Apple, if you wouldn't mind getting onto Apple Podcasts and giving me a review, hopefully it's five stars. And you can follow me during the week as I update on social media, post random photos of my cat, uh, because let's face it, Mooka is amazing. Oh yeah, if you're looking at my post and you're like, Mucha, what? What's that cat's name? His name is pronounced Mooka. I know it's weird. Amazing Czech Republic artist in the 1920s. Look him up, Alphonse Mucha. That is who the cat is named after. Thank you again for joining me. I hope you have an awesome week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.